and welcome back to the Baropolis podcast. As usual, I am joined with Nathan. And this week, we have the small matter of previewing a first leg of the playoffs. Nathan, we now know our opponent confirmed. We had the final game of the regular season. And it sort of finally feels like it's business time, doesn't it? It does. It does. Um we're just speaking there prior to this podcast. We've been waiting for this game for what feels like the longest time and it's finally upon us. And yeah, the nerves are definitely kicking in now. Um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll discuss what felt like a bit of a dress rehearsal, uh, which was the final day. Then the, uh, the first leg of the playoffs, we'll obviously be doing a podcast following Sunday's game, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll get into this playoff preview, I suppose, which we've been waiting for uh, for a very long time to to bring to you guys. Yeah, and, and perhaps in, interestingly, obviously, if you um if you've listened or, or watched this podcast for you know since we started last season, you'll have seen that we've done a few opposition previews, things like that. And interestingly, one of those previews was with a Coventry fan, obviously Alex, who I went to university with, currently finishing off his master's degree. And Nathan, we we seen him on on Sunday night, didn't we? He he was up early for the game. We thought we'd have a a bit of a, a night out with him, a few pints, get him ready for potential heartbreak on the Monday. And um I mean, the general move from Coventry fans going into the game was that actually there was nerves, but they all felt quite confident about everything. Yeah, they did. Uh, there was a few of them up uh, on Sunday evening prior to the game. And yeah, it looked like the overall move from from their lot was, was confidence, really. Um, I mean, prior to the game on the Monday, all they really needed was a point to 100% secure their place in the playoffs, but also... If results did go in a particular way, they could even get in whilst getting beat at the Riverside. So, yeah, I think that the mood from from their sort of fans was was definitely confidence. And yeah, why wouldn't it be? They were, they've been on quite a good run um, in terms of not many defeats in the last ten or fifteen games. And yeah, they've got a a, a really good side uh, that plays some really good stuff as well. So. Yeah, it was uh, good to see Alex as well, who we haven't seen for uh, quite a long time in a in a footballing context. And now we'll see him in three three times in the next sort of week or so, which is, yeah, quite a frightening prospect. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, to be honest, but uh, yeah, hopefully it turns out to be a good thing. Uh, so obviously, Nathan, going into the game, obviously another bank holiday because of the coronation. Monday, 3pm, before we actually get into our game, what was your sort of ideal scenario? What was your preference as to, obviously, the other two teams that were going to sneak in? I, I think I can guarantee that one of those that have made it certainly won't have been in your ideal form. No, it wasn't. Uh, I think that my ideal four would have been, obviously, us and Luton as the, the confirmed teams already. I think that Coventry would have been OK in, didn't mind that. Um, but then, of course, the uh, the battle really was for that sixth and final spot in the playoffs, and that was split between. I mean, it was 
technically split between, I think, four teams, um, four or five teams, but some didn't really have a chance. Blackburn and, and West Brom needed, needed results to go in their favour very much so to get in, quite like us last year at Preston. Um, but yeah, my uh, my ideal final four would have been Luton, Middlesbrough, Coventry and Millwall, which it was at the start of the day. Um, and it was also that four at half time as well, which um, did make me feel quite sort of enthused at half time. But obviously that wasn't how it ended. But we'll uh, we'll get on to uh, the final sort of way that the playoffs ended a little bit after we've uh, we've discussed what was the uh, the final game of the season. Yeah, obviously the big topic for the last few weeks um, has mainly been injuries, and fortunately we welcome back Ryan Giles into the squad. Obviously, no Johnny House and still, which is a little bit of a worry, but I think you know, welcoming back his ability in terms of in the final third, crossing balls into the box. One of the key components of the way that we played all season was really massive. Um, and there was a lot of discussion going into the game in, in terms of actually what Carrick should do, whether he should go full strength and sort of try and build up a little bit of a moment, uh, build up a bit of momentum, sorry, with a, a strong team and, and hopefully a strong result going into the game. He, he did end up obviously going for what currently is, I think, his best 11. Possibly you could maybe include Dyke Steele in that if he wasn't suspended. But obviously, you know, Tommy Smith has played that many games. I think he would probably lean at Tommy Smith, even if Dyke Steele had been available anyway. Um, but yes, as I say, he went strong, Nathan. And how did you feel about that decision? Yeah, I felt that that was probably the right decision in the end. Um, I think that the idea behind it was field the strongest 11 that you can possibly can. I think that that should really be the sort of way and the mindset that you, that you think going into every game. But whether your players don't necessarily overextend themselves, I think that's a, a sort of different question. And yeah, I didn't feel that in the game, Middlesbrough did overextend themselves really, um, which was completely fine because it, it means that we didn't necessarily show our full abilities uh, in the game, didn't give Coventry that much to go on. This They saw in fits and starts what we can do, but... Yeah, I thought that going with your strongest eleven was was probably the right idea, especially in a game that for Coventry had quite a lot of jeopardy. Um, and yeah, I was I was looking forward to the game. Of course, it was quite a strange one with the Riverside being sold out, uh, the full ground being sold out, and the game really only meaning something to Coventry. Uh, it didn't really matter at all what the result was going to be for Middlesbrough. Of course, you want a positive result because it, it leads on into the playoffs, which is uh, always good to have momentum going into those games. But yeah, on the grand scheme of things, it didn't really matter what the result was going to be. But yeah, was pleased with the team uh, and felt that it could have could have matched up Coventry uh, quite well with, with their team as well, which was uh, their full strength team. 
Yeah, and obviously going into the game now, Coventry, as you say, it was sort of up to them to take the game to us early on. And, you know, I always felt like if they managed to get themselves in front once they had managed to get themselves in front, it was just going to be a case of they'll probably sit behind the ball. I mean, it would have been quite risky business had they have, you know, sat behind the ball at nil-nil and, and if we'd have broken them down, they maybe would have been in a position where they then have to get themselves back into the game. But obviously, they sort of executed their plan quite perfectly almost in the early stages. I thought they looked far more up for it. And, I mean, that's not necessarily a, a bad thing against us because, as you've said, they had far more to play for. Uh, but, yeah, as I say... I felt like they dominated Gustavo Hamer. Obviously, we know his his ability and his real standout sort of nature in, in Coventry's team alongside Jokeres. But I thought Hamer controlled everything in the first half an hour, really. You could argue even the first, well, the full, full half, really. Uh, the full first half, rather. Um, it's his goal that gives Coventry the lead, Nathan, and I actually felt it was deserved. The move sort of comes from really Tommy Smith trying to play the exact same pass twice and it being cut out twice. It's quite poor from his point of view. Um, I think after the first pass that he sort of wraps back into Bidwell, I think it is, who intercepts it. Um, he's trying to play it in Isaiah Jones, I believe. And he gets it back, tries to play the same pass, gets cut out again. And they attack from that moment. And in the end, actually, when it falls back to Hamer from that distance, as soon as it left his boot, you kind of felt it was a goal, really, didn't you? Yeah, you did. And uh, Hamer had had an effort in the opening sort of five, ten minutes that was quite similar in the way that he struck the ball very clean. Uh, low and hard and Stefan saved that one but he wasn't going to get this one um, as you say Chris the uh, the goal comes from Tommy Smith in the uh, middle of middle of the pitch um, trying to play the same pass twice and yeah Bidwell intercepts it plays it into midfield and it gets uh, well they, they launch a counter-attack very quickly and uh, this spring him as the one travelling with the ball he tries to play it into Godden. Godden's touches, well, poor. Uh, it comes off Lenahan, falls back off Godden to uh, to Hamer, and yeah, he rifles it in that corner, and yeah, Coventry lead. And it did feel like Coventry were going to, as you say, sit back and protect the lead that they had, and hit on the break pretty much. Uh, it felt that they were very dangerous, and that Middlesbrough needed probably five or six players to stop the three players that they had breaking every single time. They didn't really have anyone else apart from uh, Hamer, Godden and Gyokares breaking. Um, but those three caused a lot of problems in the way that they did break. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like from... Uh, this game, especially in the first half, more so than the second, that the chances that we gave Coventry in this in this first half, and that possibly 
sort of skew the way that the managers viewed it with Robin saying that they controlled the game when they had about 20% possession is that Borough playing out from the back and at times have sort of played into Coventry's hands a little bit. Uh, their midfielder, uh, Eccles, did, did really well in two instances in the first half to read where Borough were going to play passes and he nipped in, intercepted it and launched the counter-attack in, well, the space of probably two passes. They were sort of formula- formulating a chance. So that is something to uh, to watch out for in these, these next two games that are to come with Coventry coming up as well. That if Middlesbrough are to dominate the ball, then be wary of their players in the midfield intercepting passes. They're going to try and read Borough's patterns of play, which is fine. It's all about being methodical in the playoffs. But Borough just need to be a bit wiser in where they're going to pass the ball. But yeah, again, the goal, great strike from Hamer, goes to show how much of a dangerous player he is. Uh, And yeah, you certainly uh, don't want to be giving him chances that are 18 yards out because more often than not, he finishes those ones. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point that you make, actually. And I don't think it's doing a disservice to Coventry in, in saying that, you know, their three players, as you mentioned, Jokeres, Godin and Hamer, were the three main threats and always the three main threats whilst they were countering us. Um, I know, obviously, some Coventry fans, I think probably because of Mark Robbins' comments, almost felt like we were some of our fans were trying to do them a disservice and say that they just sat behind the ball when actually, you know, it, it, it's not just a sort of long ball to Jokeres and, and play off him. Those three players have got a lot of quality and obviously we, we know how dangerous they are. Jokeres is his own threat in himself, but when you add Godden and him out of that mix, it's, it's obviously very, very dangerous. And as we saw, they punished us really. Um, in terms of the rest of the first half, once they'd taken the lead, I don't think it was quite as much of a difference in, in terms of the way that they were playing from the second half. They still did counter-attack. They still looked a little bit more open and committing bodies forward. Obviously, we managed to get ourselves back on level terms pretty much on half-time, really. And actually, at the time, of course, I celebrated. And it was funny, given that, you know, Coventry fans, in fairness to them, and it was, you know, their their big day um, at that stage. They were making the most noise. They were generating all of the atmosphere, really. And to um, to scare them a little bit, to equalise and, and to put them on the back foot a little bit was was quite funny, to be honest. But I did turn around to my dad and say, that may well be one of the least deserved goals that we've scored potentially since Michael Carrick joined because I mean from our point of view it's quick and it's clever but from Mark Robbins point of view he will be furious at that corner routine yeah 100% Uh, I think that it was probably one of the worst first halves I've seen us put in in quite a long time from minute one of the first half to minute 47 of the first half um, it's becoming quite a regular theme. Borough starting slow in games, 
and it has been for a number of months now. I mean, looking back to Sheffield United in February um, of in that game, conce- conceded very early on because we haven't started quick enough. We're not alert and ready to deal with the threats that other teams uh, are going to bring to us. And that needs to change uh, ahead of ahead of Sunday in the playoffs, especially because um, on Sunday that crowd's going to be right behind Coventry, and they're going to be look, looking to start dead quick and pretty much take the game off Middlesbrough in the first 10-15 minutes. So that needs to change. But yeah, the first half incredibly poor. Didn't look like scoring once at all in that first half um but yeah as you say it was uh very funny to uh see the Coventry fans in the corner having a little bit of a party um and well I suppose it was just keeping the ball away from the Middlesbrough players uh ahead of this corner kick throwing it bouncing it off the advertising boards throwing it through the stands and uh yeah with three minutes added on Borough take a quick corner um, McGree charges into the box very cleverly, actually, knocks it back to Moat. Moat fires his shot, sort of gets blocked by a number of bodies. And I think that the finish from Archer is very underrated, really. He's pretty much got his back to goal and he's having to swivel and he's put it right in the roof of the net above every bloody player in blue on the line which it seemed like the full squad was. So, yeah, great finish from Archer, got his back in the game, and the uh, the silence in the away end and the jangling nerves was uh, evident to see. So, yeah, quite good. And looking at the halftime scores, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I was more than enthused to see Sunderland being held nil-nil at Preston. Uh West Brom didn't really care about or look look for really because it depended on other results. Uh, and to see Millwall 3-1 up at the Den against Blackburn, thought, right, well, here we go then. Duncan Watmore scored two goals to keep Sunderland out the playoffs. Um, and a Luton, Middlesbrough, Coventry and Millwall playoff. I think at one stage it was actually us playing um playing against Millwall. It, it at 3 1 at half time, we'd been playing them over two legs um because of goal difference. But yeah, it soon changed around in other games. And uh yeah, we we moved on into the second half and well, waited to see what Coventry were going to do, which I think it was fair to say that they just sort of fell back into their own half even further than they already were at 1-0. And, uh, yeah, I can't... If I'm honest, I can't really remember an effort that they had in that second half that was really threatening. There was moments where Jokeres broke down uh, their left-hand side and tried to charge into the penalty area and... I remember one McNair came across, won the ball off him and kicked it off him for a, a Borough goal kick. But no real shots on goal from, from them in the second half. I thought that Borough probably 
had the better of things in the second half, tried to put them under a little bit of pressure. It was quite funny because I think both sides would have happily like took a draw. Yeah. I mean, in their case, 100% they're taking a draw. But Borough were just sort of like moving forward, almost like teasing them a little bit, saying, oh, yeah, imagine if we score here. Um, yeah. And you could see it was quite funny to watch. We sit on the uh, side of uh, the dugouts and uh, seeing Robin's coaching staff all getting uppity and uh, dead excited because they weren't defending properly was uh, was quite funny to see. But yeah, quite a boring second half, if I'm honest. Yeah, it, it felt... I think, as I said earlier, it, it felt like, although... Coventry in the first half, even after taking the lead, weren't, you know, constantly attacking us or being, you know, very, very dangerous. They still even seemed to get forward more than they did at 1-1 in the second half. And then perhaps, you know, at halftime at 1-1, Robbins just thought, well, you know, we, we've scored he's understood what sort of threat Middlesbrough were going to offer in, in terms of, like you said, there was a lot of possession on our on our behalf that actually really was just sort of possession for the sake of possession. We weren't really being direct and trying to play through the thirds and, and really cause them problems. But as you say, it was quite funny because in the second half, it, it did feel like we were sort of you know, getting to the stage where they should be really concerned and then just either picking a different pass or, or going backwards. And I think, you know, it, it's interesting now that we are at the stage where, you know, the business really starts now. But when you look back at the previous three games, you sort of look and, and think, yes, there's been some bad refereeing decisions, but actually seeing the way that Monday played out, I do now feel that when, I think I said last week that perhaps mentally for some of the players, knowing that the playoffs were on the horizon, they may not sprint that extra yard or they may not lunge and, and stretch the hamstrings or the quads for that tackle and, and they may not run that extra yard to tie themselves out and, and risk injuries and things like that. And, that was probably as clear to see as any of the games in the second half for me. I just felt like we really took it, didn't take it easy, but just didn't play the way we know we can and have done. Um, I must say, Paddy McNair and Daryl Lenahan, a special shout out to those two, because although Coventry was sitting deep, we saw even in the get it in the return fixture at the CBS, one ball in behind the defence and Jokerez can punish you. And they had the ability to do that. Jokerez and Gordon, of course, up top together. And one ball in behind could have been enough to get them back in front. But I thought that Paddy McNair and Daryl Enahan on Monday done terrifically well to deal with him especially because obviously we know the pace and his, his huge strides that he seems to have um, and yeah I thought they both dealt with him very well in that instance so hopefully they can do the same over, over the next two games Nathan but yeah as you say 
not too much to report in in the second half. Obviously, there was different narratives sort of developing round. We knew that Sunderland had taken the lead. And even then, I think for that sort of 30-minute spell, it was almost dead silence in the Coventry away end because they knew one goal would have been enough to see them drop out at that stage. And then, of course, there was cheers from the away end and Blackburn, despite not really standing any chance of getting in there, had uh, managed to find the level. I pulled two goals back and, of course, that meant that Sunderland were in and Coventry were also in. And then I think the real party started when, of course, Blackburn made it 4-3. Obviously, heartbreak for Millwall and Sunderland were three up at the time. And at that stage, truthfully, and it's probably the only time I'll ever say this, I didn't want us to score because I didn't want to play Sunderland. Yeah, it was uh, quite a strange one, really. And just made me think back to... um... Well, just back over these opening day sort of week, uh, sorry, final day weekends, where a team that has something to play for is playing up against a team that has nothing to play for apart from a little bit of pride. And the team that has nothing to play for decides that they want to turn into prime Barcelona just to be the busiest bastards ever. So Preston are on the uh, shit list now. For uh, well, not only last season, but just rolling over and letting Sunderland do whatever they wanted to them uh, at the weekend. What a pointless football club! Um, and uh, thanks for Cameron Archer as well, by the way. Um, so yeah, um, busy uh, as in Preston, Blackburn again. Another, it's just the Lancashire football clubs, I guess. Um, yeah, pointless. Three one, three one down players leaving uh, at the end of the season and he decides that he wants to turn into, well, Ronaldo in his prime, scoring two goals at the Den in front of a packed-out Den where it's meant to be really difficult to go to, but Millwall just, well, rolled over in the second half, apparently. So, yeah, uh, Millwall only got themselves to blame. Blackburn, busy bastards. Preston, busy bastards. So... There you are. There's my rant over. So there we go. The final, final um, standings in the championship are Luton playing against Sunderland in the playoffs in the semi-final and us against Coventry. Uh, Obviously, the way I've just explained it, it's flipped for the first leg with us going to the CBS and uh, Luton travelling to the Stadium of Light uh, their game is on Saturday at 5.30. Ours is 12 o'clock kickoff on the Sunday. What an inconvenient time that is. Um, but, yeah, um, you couldn't have picked probably a worse ground to get uh, in the playoffs than Coventry, as in our record there is nothing short of horrendous. Yeah. And, uh, like yeah it's going to be a, a really really difficult game um, Coventry is a difficult place to go to anyway as I say um, but now that the, uh, the fans have come out the woodwork uh, it'll be even more difficult um, 
they've reduced the allocation uh, than you usually get for a league fixture. And quite funnily enough, they're not even going to open that section to the home fans. So what a pointless, pointless move that is. But anyway, um, and yeah, we'll, we'll be there on uh, Sunday afternoon, hopefully with a fully fit squad, although Michael Carrick is still um, adamant that we'll, uh, we'll have none of the players that missed out of the squad for Monday's game back. So those are Dale Fry, Marcus Force, Aaron Ramsey, Johnny Housen. So, yeah, um, we'll have to wait and see if Michael Carrick's been playing quite a big game over the last few months um, with injuries, especially to Dale Fry, who we haven't seen for a very long time. But, yeah, as I say, it was like a dress rehearsal on... Uh, on uh, keep getting mixed up because the amount of football that's gone on random days than a, than a Saturday. So, yeah, uh, felt like a dress rehearsal on Monday ahead of the game the following Sunday. And, um, yeah, the hope for me is that Coventry's mental sort of fragility comes to the fore a little bit because they've been under uh, quite a lot of pressure in the last few weeks to try and get themselves into the playoffs. They've done it and you could see how much it meant to them at the weekend. It looked like they'd won like a trophy or something. Um, so hopefully they think that that's their job done now and this is where we see the real Middlesbrough that we'd seen throughout February, March and in spells against Norwich and, and Hull in the last few games. But yeah, the hope is that uh, the Borough are back and at 100% full throttle from minute one on the, on Sunday afternoon because they need to be. They need to be, or else the game will get wiped away from them in the first half. So, yeah, I'm uh, trying to be positive, but the nerves are well and truly jangling in my spirits. Anyone that's just listened to that sort of short monologue of like minute of uh, speech from yourself will have felt uh, the nerves coming from every possible angle because. I mean, obviously, I am I'm nervous as well. But, you know, I think, in fairness, we, we should say, listen, it is credit to Coventry because, actually, the journey that they've been on from League 2 a few seasons ago is quite remarkable. And it's understandable, really, that they... I mean, OK, it, it may not be like them winning something, but it's... Like all of the other teams in the playoffs, they are now potentially three games away from being in the Premier League. And from where they were, it is nothing short of a miracle from Mark Robbins, really. So credit to them for that. There's no sort of bitterness from my end and, until they uh, potentially beat us and then I'll do a full circle. Um, but no, you, you mentioned injuries, Nathan, and, and one player that's been out long-term that we may have to use um, I think Dyke Steele will probably take his place in the squad. Darnell Fisher, we, we have to mention it. Nearly two years out 
and finally gets back on the pitch in a competitive game. Listen, although there was all sorts of other narratives going on and, and things like that, and obviously Coventry having their party, it was such a nice moment, a, a real, real, almost, I mean, possibly not for some, but I think definitely for Darnell Fisher, a really emotional moment. I mean, to be out for two years, doing the thing that you love, probably a lot of setbacks. I mean, when you think back to the time when he was injured, he'd, he'd only just joined us, had a good start. Uh, obviously, Mark Todd Cantwell out of that game. Todd Cantwell still has nightmares from that Norwich uh, game back a few years now. And then got that injury. And really, for a long time, we didn't even have a time scale. And then, without sounding harsh, really, I think a few people had even forgot that he was still contracted to the club, really. Um, but to see him back after everything he's been through was was a really nice moment for the, for the final few moments. Yeah, it was. Um, I think that when you see players that have struggled <clears throat> with injuries uh, that have that have kept them out for a massive period of time, come back and even just make that one appearance that gets them back, and and, and you can see that they've worked so hard to sort of get themselves back to full fitness and do all the rehab and, and things that come with it. It's a, it's a really sort of pleasurable sight. And yeah, it it felt good to see Darnell Fisher back. Um, of course, we, we saw a few years ago uh, under Neil Warnock that he could do a really good job uh, at right back for Middlesbrough. And he did do a really good job um, for a good few games, not just that Norwich game. Um, he was... Um, pretty good when he when he did come in from Preston and uh, at the time I was really infused with the signing um, when we did get him um, in that January window um, but yeah uh, really good to see Darnell back two years I mean it probably didn't feel like it for him but I don't know where, where that time's gone that he's uh, been out for that long but yeah two years out and uh, yeah, Dan Fisher's back. It was, it was quite funny at the start of the game, seeing his name on the, uh, on the team sheet, but yeah, that'll have been a real, really good uh, feel good moment for him. Um, making his way onto the Riverside pitch just for a, a few minutes at the end of the game. But yeah, um, there was a few sort of feel good moments uh, at full time, as well as the players did their uh, lap of, on a lap of appreci uh, appreciation, whatever you want to call it, and uh, yeah, seeing a, a few of the lads with their with their kids and and, and loved ones was good. Hopefully, um, we've got a few more special moments to come in this season. It doesn't feel like it's done yet. It feels like there is a lot more twists and turns to come. I think in the in these playoffs. Which I mean, I hope there's not many uh, twists and turns. I hope it's very straightforward and Borough go and do the business in uh, in both legs, and then whoever it may be in the final, we go there and 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 just do the business. But yeah, it feels like that the championship is going to throw up a few more surprises between now and then. So 
We'll just have to wait and see what goes on. Maybe Darnell Fisher pops up with a winner in the playoffs. You never know, do you? It would be quite the uh, quite the redemption. Arc. I think potentially even topping Chubas after that long out. <laughs> but yeah, as you say, we, we saw some of the the kids and loved ones of the players. Um, I think a, a few were quick to notice Chubas, little boy scoring on the riverside turf and, and hoping that actually we, we may have found the potential um top goal scorer in the championship in about 15 years time perhaps um obviously we have the current and in the end the main man in the championship the top goal scorer in the regular season skybet championship 2022 23 Chubarakbom, I know we talk about him so much and hopefully we'll be talking about him more over the next few podcasts, Nathan. But I mean, when you look at him and you look at, I think especially the sort of sliding doors moment, obviously, because it was Chris Wilder's departure. And ironically, it was Coventry that was his final game in charge. When you look back at that and over the course of the full season and all the different stories and twists and turns, I mean, to get to this point, yes, the job is not finished, but it's been a pretty remarkable season nonetheless. Yeah, it has been um, a really just truly mesmerising season from from Tuberat Pom as, as an individual Um of course, he did. He did score a few under Chris Wilder, but um, yeah, he uh, has well and truly turned into a different beast under Michael Carrick. And yeah, the the new number ten position that that he's taken up has well and truly sort of exposed his true potential. I feel, and yeah, not just Tubrak Pom, but. As we say there, the sliding doors moment for Middlesbrough season was pretty much that Coventry game in October where it was a weird sort of afternoon that did feel like... But it felt like Middlesbrough had wasted a little bit of time in the way that the international break had happened and Coventry came round straight after and... Then we sacked Wilder after after the international break. But, yeah, that game was truly horrendous. Of course, you were there for that one, Chris. Um, a pretty woeful afternoon. I couldn't tell you one thing that happened in the game. I remember watching it and I, I still to this day cannot tell you what happened in that game. The only thing that I could tell you is we better not wear white on Sunday afternoon because... It was hurting my eyes to watch the game. Um, yeah, back in the uh, in the start of the season in October, when we white and sky blue is a horrible contrast. Just just put a red top on for God's sake. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a sliding doors moment that has well and truly turned Middlesbrough season on its head. Really, and theirs. In fairness, that was their first win of the season. Um, against us uh, we sacked our manager replaced him with Michael Carrick an unknown quantity as a manager and he's come in and the job he's done has been 
well and truly unbelievable to drag this Middlesbrough side from the depths of the championship all the way up to the playoffs. And yeah, okay, we uh, we had our little flirt with with automatic promotion pretty much up until probably about 20 past four on the 1st of April. Um, and that after to do at Huddersfield. But yeah, a truly, truly incredible season for so many different reasons for Michael Carrick, for Tuber Akpom. Um, and the thing is, it's not done yet. And it feels like that there is something more to come. And I just hope that that thing is elation uh, at the end of this month. But yeah, we've got a uh, probably well, certainly at least two more podcasts to go with uh, two playoffs against against Coventry, one on Sunday, and then, of course, the return leg at a packed-out Riverside on a, on a Wednesday night, which, yeah, it, it's two games to, uh, to look forward to in the next week, and, yeah, it, it feels feels good to uh, have a little bit of something to play for in these final two games as much as the nerves are jangling in my stomach. Yeah, I can, I can almost hear your stomach going from here, to be honest, <laughs> there, mind that you're sat in your university room in Lincoln. Yeah, I can hear the nerves and the butterflies floating about in your stomach, Nathan. Obviously, we sort of spoke about the season as a whole and, and spoke about... Monday's game, but as as I've said, now we turn our attentions to. I mean, it's do or die, really, isn't it? I guess not fully because we we've got a first leg, and if if the worst does happen, we we have the second leg to potentially or hopefully turn things around. But we've got that first leg to go straight away, Nathan. And, yeah, we're unsure, really, whether we may have some more positive news on the injury front. But certainly, for me at least, I feel that it is so integral, if it's possible, that we have Johnny Allison leading the team out at the CBS on Sunday. Because, although, yes, we weren't, we didn't have anything to play for on the, in the Coventry game or in the Rotherham game, but it's quite clear to see when Johnny Allison doesn't play for Middlesbrough, there is not really any driving force in the Middlesbrough midfield. And it's it just goes to show how important he is for this team. Uh, whatever age he is, he's obviously going to be here next season, Nathan. And I'm sure more than anything, he'll be hoping that he has the chance to affect the game in his way, the way we know he can, breaking up play, being such a solid partner at Hayden Hackney and just setting the example that he does. We all know, obviously, you know, you look at Daryl Lenahan and he's a slightly different captain in terms of he, he shouts and barks out orders and leads in that way. But Johnny Housen leads in a way where he sets standards. He literally runs himself into the ground and I'm just praying that he is available. Nathan, obviously looking at the first leg, 
if you can even stomach talking about it because I can see the difficulty on your face. Um, for anyone watching on YouTube, um, yeah, you'll be able to see it. And for audio listeners, Nathan, I, I mean, he can barely even look at his camera. I can see the nerves. It's it's a horrible time for both of us, but I think it's shown a little bit more on Nathan. But yes, as you said, it's so crucial because we've seen how quickly Coventry can start. They're going to have a near enough full stadium. They are going to be back in their team as much as they possibly can. And for probably the first 10, 15, 20, possibly even half an hour, I fear that it's just going to be about weathering the storm because they will be out of the blocks so quickly. And the danger is, and I don't want to sound too negative, if you can't weather that storm and they find themselves 2-0 up after half an hour or in the first half, you've then got an absolute mountain to climb. You've still got the second 45 minutes of that game. And even still, you know, they'd be coming to the other side with the counter-attacking ability that they do have and just basically sitting behind the lead. So, this, I mean, it, it really is a, a daunting prospect. Nathan, how are you feeling? I mean, it, it's a cruel question, considering, <laughs> as I've said, people can see how you're currently looking. But, I mean, how do you think this one sort of plays out how do you think Michael Carrick will be will be hoping to deal with the threat that they possess well the way that I see the game going is I think that they're definitely coming out in the first half pretty much uh, they're going to try and well pretty much grab middles provide the throat and get something uh, in the first 45 which they can either hold on to or possibly extend, depending on how the game's going into the second half. Um, I think that what Middlesbrough need to do in this first sort of half an hour or so of the game is they simply have to stick in there. They have to. They can't find themselves going under in this first half. They have to... Just stick it out, battle, win your individual battles and, yeah, do not lose that big sausage up front or else he's scoring. It's written, it's written in the stars, isn't it? But, yeah, um, I think that the game has to be just stick in there and if the time comes, um, ideally, you have your wise forwards as in um probably Riley McGree and Isaiah Jones pulling as far out wide as physically possible and Tuba of course will 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 drag players towards him and if you can isolate Carl McFadzine up against Cameron Archer in behind we've got as good a chance as anyone uh, on the break. 100%. Um but yeah, it's all it's all about really sticking in the tie in the fir- in the first leg away from home. If you do that, then you you take yourself 
back to the riverside, a packed out ground, and you'd feel that you've got as good a chance as anyone going in the home leg if you keep it at uh, level pegging. If you even if you even if you go goal a goal behind, I'd, I'd still fancy us um, because I think that if it if you go into the second leg one nil down, as soon as you get one, the tide begins to turn in your favour massively, and it, it it could make them go under if they haven't got the uh, the minerals to um to stay in the game. So yeah, for me. It's going to be a, a nerve jangling ninety minutes in the uh, in the away end. I think mainly just just sort of stick it out, fight for your lives, and leave that ground with the crowd deflated a little bit. Make that make them feel frustrated in the opening forty five, and just continue to frustrate, time waste, be horrible. In the past, in the championship, I've seen Middlesbrough come up against teams that have stormed the league, I, as in Wolves of a few years ago, Burnley this year as well. And when they need to, they adhere to playing horribly and time waste and just try and kill the game and I want us to be the most horrible team to play against ever on Sunday afternoon. Time waste, dive, cheat. That's what I want, Chris. I can't lie. And, yeah. And could come out of the game with a nil-nil or a one each. That'd do. Yeah, I, I think, as you say, it's... I don't for one minute think that Michael Carrick is just going to sort of throw everything out of the window and, and you know, I mean, it would be pointless anyway. But, for example, I don't think he's going to stick Matt Crooks up top and just say, hit Crooks and, and, and play off that and we'll try and make it a bit physical and a bit horrible. I still think we'll play the way that we have done. Zach Stefan will try and suck bodies in and it'll be even nervier than usual when he's got Jokeres running towards him. But as you say, it's up to us to be that little bit more streetwise. And as you say, kill the game, but also kill the atmosphere. Because as you say, it's such a... I, I would always look at it as it's a better thing to have the playoff semi-final at your home ground second leg. I think that's a given, really. But also, there's still the danger that... By the time the second leg comes around, you've already pretty much ruined your chances from going away and basically folding. And it's just so important that we don't do that. But yeah, as I say, I don't think it'll be lumped up to Crooksy. I think we have to be streetwise. We have to perhaps take a little bit longer to doing throw-ins, um, doing goal kicks, that sort of stuff, Nathan, make it a little bit horrible and just try and ride it out and hopefully as you say, listen, it, it wouldn't be the best scenario, but if we could go back to the Riverside, even at 1-0 down, I don't think that would be horrendous, but obviously, hopefully you can score in the tie. And, and listen, 
as much as we want to make it ugly and, and we'll probably have a lot of defending to do early on in the game, especially first half an hour, you still have that outball of Cameron Archer in behind, don't you? As you say, it, it can be one clip pass. And I think even in the Luton game, we, we pretty much saw that tactic play out, really, didn't we? It was Crooks that put him through a score against Luton. Dan Barlasa, who probably won't play on the day unless there is more injuries, had that almost to a T two or three times, just that clip one in behind the centre-halves. And Cameron Archer's pace can hopefully do the rest. But yeah, as I say, all about weathering the storm, Nathan. And uh, yeah, unless there's anything else to add. It's, uh, I'm worried. <laughs> I'm worried. I am. It's it's go time and, and until um, we're back recording and hopefully talking about a, a positive result in the first leg, ready to take back to the other side in what will undoubtedly be a full house and a, hopefully a very intimidating atmosphere for Coventry to be walking into. Yeah, hopefully. Um, but as you say, we've got the small matter of travelling to a ground that we've never won at first. So, um, yeah. yeah, we'll be hoping that um, we can just we can just go there, frustrate, kill the crowd, kill the atmosphere. And if you do that in the opening sort of half an hour, 45, it just becomes... The game of football then you ignore all the noise from the outside and yeah it's at the end of the day it's 11 v 11 you just got to ignore that noise play your own game and yeah hopefully the borough do the business on sunday and uh yeah we'll see everyone back again for another podcast when uh we discuss that game and preview the second leg as well yeah, we will do. And obviously, Nathan, it should be said, tickets have sold out already. That 2000 going down, obviously, a core of people, given the priority point system, that'll have gone away to a lot of away games already this season. And, you know, not that any fan is better than any fan. I'm not saying that at all. But I think it's obviously vitally important that that away end, the type of people that are going to make their presence known, whether it's a full stadium or not. We want to be hearing those 2,000 in the away end. Nathan, you're in that category that got a ticket. Obviously, I, of course, missed out, which is disappointing, but I have all faith in people like you and the rest of those 2,000 that have got tickets. Although you may have to take a few sick bags in your pockets, I'm sure you'll be um, doing your utmost to try and G, G the players up, get them ready for the occasion. I'm sure they'll already be ready for the occasion, but that extra support definitely won't go amiss. And uh, yeah, here we are finally. There's been a few weeks where we've known what was to come, but we finally arrived, Nathan. And I think that wraps us up there because otherwise Nathan may puke onto his mic <laughs> and on his laptop before a ball's even been kicked in the playoffs. So as always, from me and Nathan, thank you ever so much for watching and listening. Please do like and subscribe if you've watched on YouTube. And for audio listeners, please do give us a kind review. And yeah, here we are 
the playoffs. We're ready to go. Hopefully we have some positive news on the injury front. And come on, Borough. Come on, Borough. <laughs> Please do a good job on Sunday and make sure we aren't just crying into the laptop when we go to record the preview of the second leg. Yeah, we'll stop now, Nathan, for the good of our own health. That has been the Brockless Podcast, and we will see you again shortly. Oh!